This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen, and in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. Why does an inner life matter? Well, self-understanding and self-care, which is what an inner life is, uh, supports the the ideal ethic uh, and context of what it means to be human. And and when we are in that self-care, self-understanding place, it elevates our best quality, which is compassion, being able to to understand and and be in the shoes of another human being when they suffer. Um, so we have a choice in self-care. Uh, self-care and self-understanding was traded for God care and God understanding. Mm-hmm. Because one is moral and the other one is ethical. Mm-hmm. But, so uh, do you think it is possible to for a person to rid themselves of their shadow? It's, uh, it, it's possible to... Um, to rid yourself of all past program, programming and past conditioning, but you still have got to deal with the indentation that it left behind on the surface of the soul. It's just like a, you know, like a. Uh, that's why I like the example of a tree because it's the best. It's the best symbol for ego is that uh, it leaves a an indentation on the ring. You know, it leaves an imperfection in the trunk. It's still there. It's in the ring. You know. So, like when a when a when a tree undergoes a fire or a flood or or any kind of a change, it stores that memory in the ring of the tree itself. So, is that memory um, and that indentation on the soul? I think you're saying is that connected to the shadow? Yes, yes, of course, and uh, yeah, because any any wound to life that is attempting to be its fullest self, any wound would be shadow. And uh, because, of course, a tree doesn't interpret that experience, but we do. And it's that misinterpretation that makes it shadow. So so we deal with our imperfections, we carry our imperfections in our analysis of those imperfections, and, and so therefore we, you know, and then we have the collective that is part of the problem as well. So self-care and self-understanding is in God-care and God-understanding is my point. And God-care and God-understanding is where we still are in 2017. We're still beating that around. And uh, and what's-his-name Walsh, you know, came out with conversations uh, with God was essentially God has no needs. Well, nobody heard that. It's true. It's valid. God has no needs because God, God doesn't have an ego. No matter how you break it down, we still got to deal with existence itself, and is it meaningful? And, and it's only meaningful based upon what we do with the suffering of it. And if we don't do anything with the suffering, other than say that we're victims, or that we're fated breaks, or that we're broken spirits, or that we're victims of some kind, then we're stuck. So here we have biology saying that life, in and of itself, is the embodiment of a system. It tries to stay intact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, and so biopoetics 
is tied to the environment. This article that I found about it was was really about the environment, about the Earth itself, the planet. It's a system attempting to survive in spite of us. We are the infestation. We are the we are the disease that the, that the planet Earth has because we are overpopulating it and we are draining its resources. So where is that coming from in us? We are a living, breathing organism. Right. But why are we different than how life has um, embodied or... Because we don't give the embodiment station. If we did, how would it look different? If we gave the embodiment station, then we would be doing self-care and self-understanding to the benefit of life. In other words, it would be life-sustaining and life-supporting just by design. And so it's not divinity, it's biology. That life in and of itself destroys and creates itself all the time. And, and that creation and destruction of itself is still trying to be its best self. It's still trying to be its full, its full embodiment. And so we as a species, because we have these larger brains and because we have evolved cognitively, we've let go of the, of the, uh, of the spiritual, of the feeling, of the subjective. And that's why the reason I like that is, is that um, biopoetics implies that uh, the subjectivity is a driving force. What we feel about all this matters which is why a inner life matters. And then we infuse the world with it. I mean, that's really it. I mean, if, you, if, we, if we achieve self-understanding and self-care, the world is better for it. Mm -hmm. That's what that essentially means. But there's, there's the, um, what's happening that's, that's changing everything you just said is people take a lot more than what, they yes. need or yeah. what they give. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I, that's why that that concept of reciprocation is re re really mm -hmm. important. That you you try to strike a balance between how much you figure out what enough is and you stop. Religion and and society put these boundaries in place because we don't have the capacity to say enough is enough. It's all related to um, to this because remember the the embodiment itself is the expression of life itself. And the embodiment, just by design, is attempting to stay intact. In other words, stay whole rather than disintegrated or divided or polarized. Mm -hmm. But un unfortunately, it doesn't work that way with human beings. Biopoetics says inner lives matter. And I've been trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to talk about that when somebody says, well, why does an inner life matter? Well, simply put, self-care and self-understanding, if you achieve it, means that you will reach an ethical existence that benefits the world around you, period. Well, yeah, and if that caught on, that could. If that caught on, that could change. Um, yeah, absolutely, yes. The direction uh, that the earth is going in, it, it could, if it caught on. It's That's bad. what the economic and the political and the environmental people are all kind of trying to preach. I mean, the environmental people are preaching this, at some level, you know, and so the biopoetic idea is really quite, quite good. I mean, the idea that life is the embodiment of a system that uh, it may not be conscious because we're conscious, but it is subjectively feeling its way through this experience. Based upon that idea, even a cell 
at a micro level is attempting to feel its way through this experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives a uh, station back to the way we were talking about soul originally. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering, so the ego is the part of us that strives for some kind of um, unreachable perfection, right? And, and so what, what you're explaining and what you're teaching and offering people is it's not reaching a perfection. It's understanding how our system works to begin with. And then trying to find a balance between our inner and outer lives. Yeah. 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 Because a tree, a tree or a plant doesn't have a, an outer life. It just has an inner life. It has an outer experience, but it isn't sitting around analyzing it like we do. And uh, yeah. so, yeah. In my experience and, you know, the circles that I've been kind of observing people in, there is this idea of reaching some kind of perfection, this idea of not just recovery, but recovering someday. And so it's it's like that... Um, it's like a watching people trying to reach some kind of carrot that's in front of them that they're never going to reach because that's not really the goal. You asked a question uh, not too long ago, and I forget how you put it. Uh, is it possible to make somebody too special? Or to feel to feel too special your own self or to yeah. have too much confidence. And the that. word that comes to mind now after my thinking about this is worship. Uh, and that's mm. and that's what we've mm. done. Yeah, that you you that if you make anything too special, you now are worshiping that whatever that is. You see, and, and worship has no place to go but down. Um, but um, then you can get into trouble mm. on that. So the the key for all of this, as it's always been, is how do you strike a balance between your inner and outer experience, and which of the two are the most important? And of course, the inner experience is the most important because it's the richest. Mm-hmm. of the two experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have to work with what what we have, what we are, but I don't really see that happening. <laughs> I really don't see that happening in people that are, they really are trying. They really are trying to understand. They really are trying to get something that they don't quite yet get, but it's like that saying, looking for love in all the wrong places. That's what I see people doing. Mm-hmm. They don't They don't have what I see that you're offering. What you're offering is, this is how we're made up. This is how it all came together. This is what we're working with now. And this is how you work with the system that you are. What we've been given as a culture, at least in the Western world, is a summary that mm-hmm. is false about this experience. And by mm-hmm. that, I mean that we put so much energy into uh, God care and God understanding and then been told that it's impossible for us to understand, nor is it uh, kosher for us to ask why or to question these right. things. And so as yeah. a result of that, as a result of that, we're stuck in that proverbial trap of a, of a just kind of like a, a circle and don't seem to go anywhere with it. And this is really the... Um, in my estimation, it's really where spirituality, contemporary spirituality, is getting lost. Um, mm-hmm. is that um, that that you can you can look at all religions 
and they and they don't help you build a bridge to that spiritual dimension. They keep you stuck in the dogma, in the rules and regulations of those religions, whatever they may be. And and that and that's the and that's what the ego does. I mean, the ego is focused on right and wrong, where the the soul and the heart and the spirit are focused on what's true or false. And so what I'm saying today is that biology is now saying with biopoetics that that we are a system uh, that uh, of life that is the embodiment of life that by nature wants to remain intact. My language for that mm-hmm. has been self-correct. Uh, a tree doesn't have to self-correct. A cell doesn't have to self-correct. Uh, an animal doesn't have to self-correct. We do because we are told from the beginning that we are not right. And in that, and, and not being right, that means we are somehow amoral in our existence. And so you can see how that it becomes, then it becomes political, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Lost that, that inner compass, which to me, it's always felt like that's what I am supposed to be trusting. <laughs> that's what I am supposed to be listening to. But yet, if you even get that part and you try to do that, it really is kind of like walking against the crowd because the crowd has been conditioned in this um, trying to reach some kind of perfection or some kind of, of acceptance of of God and always ending up feeling like, in some way, a failed experiment. Mm-hmm. And and it, it just goes round and round and round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, so the whole concept of transcendence, again, is that, you know, we're, you know this idea that we're trying to transcend the ego. What, what we really need to do is to allow ourselves to be suffered awake. And compassion with ourselves is the only way that, that is possible. To suffer ourselves away. In other words, we can't do it without self-love, and and it's not egoic love. It is a sensation of humility in the in, in the that mm. in the vastness of it all. You know, um, who who are we to mm-hmm. think, for example, that we somehow can control life and death when we can't? Life and death happens. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing that levels the playing field for all of us. So the the fear of death spiritually is the fear of change because the ego doesn't want to change. And it's, it works very hard at defending itself to say the same. But if it's awakened and then it, 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 it realizes when it's awake, because you asked before, is there such a thing as a perfect ego? An awakened ego is as perfect as it gets because when an ego is awake, it becomes part of the system rather than op- in, in opposition to the system. And, yeah. and what yeah. I'm describing here is, is soul, spirit, ego, and heart. I call those lenses of perception, but really they are the full embodiment of what it means to be human. And I'm calling that a internal GPS. And, and now with biopoetics saying what it is saying, it's saying that this idea of self-correction really is what nature does. It attempts to self-correct. And so what's happened with the planet is that, you know, like it's kind of like when you cut down a tree, you plant a tree. Well, can we plant enough trees to compensate for all the trees we're cutting down? At some point, we're out of balance. Yeah, at some point, we're out of balance. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. 
but the difference between human beings and all the rest of nature is we're aware. We're aware of ourselves. We're um, we do have um, a heart. We do have uh, a brain. I mean, so what is natural for the rest of what lives in our world is one thing, but we're very different because <laughs> we're aware of ourselves. And so to me, there's... Yeah, we can we can question our subjective experience. We can misinterpret our subjective experience, which is the, which is really what we've done. I mean, the, this show today, which is the summary, we're talking about the the idea of mm-hmm. of getting trapped in the false summation of our lives, is that we as human beings misinterpret our subjective experience, and all we have to do is like being I said before that you can be off one degree on a compass and and the further away you get from your starting point, the further away you get from your destination. So the the reality is, is that um, that one misinterpretation leads to several more misinterpretations, and before you know it, we're lost. Which is why we don't trust the compass. Mm-hmm. We we don't trust it because it appears to be off from the beginning. So we're talking about the fault summary. So if we made the shift and kind of embrace what what you're offering, which is a lot of clarity and understanding of how to shift from a false summary and tap into what would feel to me like a true summary. Like, um, yeah. It's the difference between the ego's interpretation and the heart's interpretation of Mm -hmm. its soul's experience. The heart is interpreting this embodiment one way, the ego is interpreting this embodiment another way, and uh, and those two things are in conflict with one another, which is why mm-hmm. the ego needs to self-correct. So they mm-hmm. so that so you ask me all the time uh, about shadow. Does everybody have a shadow? Anybody who's ever had to adapt mm-hmm. to the outside world to try to achieve some balance to some imbalance they feel internally. That adaptation ends up creating shadow. And that's all of us. That's all of us. Yeah, yeah there's no way around that. There's no way around it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, there's no way around not having an ego. So it's not about getting rid of the ego. It's understanding how to um, bring it present day in, a, in an awakened state and to work with it as part of our system. It's part of our inner working well it'd be it'd be Am like I understanding it, that correctly yes absolutely it, it would it would be like if we took an automobile and what makes an automobile work and run and do what it does it has all these different parts as pistons as carburetors it has transmissions you're asking me the question that we should eliminate let's say we we take out the carburetor well it it wouldn't work we took out the transmission. Right. It wouldn't work. Right. But the ego is part of an overall design to do what it does, which is to adapt. And that adaptation uh, ends up being maladaptive simply because this existence dictates that. And we have to deal with the maladaption. And we're not going to deal with it until we get some age and some experience on our, uh, under our belt. And for most of us, it's between 35 and 45 years of age. You know, yeah, I've, I've adapted and I've adapted and I've done this and I've done that and 
you know, something's missing. And then we have the realization mm-hmm. that, my gosh, it's me, I'm missing. And all this adaptation, I lost myself along the way. Mm-hmm. And that really is, really is why we think the ego is the bad guy. When in actuality, the ego is just, it's been kind of, um, kind of isolated out away from the system itself. And yeah. we've built religions around it, and we've built societies mm-hmm. around it, and we've built mm-hmm. cultures around it, and the yeah you know, the mm-hmm. and we've in fact we worship the ego. We've made it so mm-hmm. special. We have now worshipped it, and that's what we've done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying, even if you have a sense, even if you have a sense of um, your your inner life and you're you're wanting to listen to that and you know that's the way to go even if you take that that road less traveled it's still it's still pretty darn difficult because i know for me in my life it's been a a feeling or a sense of walking against the crowd Mm -hmm. and that that's not an easy choice but for me it was a, a better choice it was a choice that i knew there was there was truth in my inner life that I wasn't finding in the conditioning of life and what was being told to me, but it's still, um, it's still, it wasn't easy and isn't easy still. <laughs> right. Well, and, and you yeah. said something the other day about uh, somebody was talking to you about your shadow and uh, telling you what your shadow was. And the only reason for anybody to point out shadow would be because it's bumping into me. There's no reason that I would ever look at anybody and say, you know, I Mm -hmm. see your shadow or here's what your shadow is. It doesn't matter what it is unless it's bumping into me. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that's the only reason to understand what shadow is, to identify it, to point at it, to point a finger at it, to blame it, to evaluate it, to do any of those egoic things is shadow pointing at shadow. (laughs) There's nothing profound about any of that. But um, yeah. In fact, I think for myself, that's that's really the only disturbances that I kind of have had in my adult life is if um, maybe my shadow bumped into somebody else's or theirs bumped into mine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've had the experience, mm-hmm. we've talked about it before, that emotions, um, for all those people who, who feel compelled to speak their truth, Emotions end up becoming a way to describe one's experience, subjective experience, but in that description of one's personal truth is also their personal maladaption, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and, and yep. so your emotions in and of themselves, which is different than a feeling, because remember an emotion mm-hmm. is a thought and a feeling combined, ends up being shadow work because yeah. When you're discussing yeah. your emotions, you made me feel such and such is not really valid yeah. um, right. because you can't make anybody feel anything. You can trigger an emotion in somebody, but you can't mm-hmm. make them feel anything. Um, and so this is how we beat this around. And and what we do in the mental health professions, we just teach people how to cope with it. Now, here are some coping mechanisms. You know, this is just the nature mm-hmm. of what it means to be in the world. But I like the concept of biopoetics because it um, it implies that if we're doing self-care and self-understanding, we we have accomplished that because we've given station to our inner lives. And in doing so, we are interpersonally better in the world because of it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which means we're not going to be living our lives at somebody else's expense, especially our own. 
and mm-hmm. uh, and that is the whole premise of the work that I do is is that um, that without the idea of reciprocation, that if you achieve self understanding and self uh, self care then that is really what creates wisdom and wisdom naturally mm-hmm. improves the world. Mm-hmm. So look what that does to a life that seems meaningless. Oh gosh, yeah. If you can find wisdom. And, and, and why it does matter, why it does matter mm-hmm. because every person that takes that, um, uh, makes that effort to do that in a way, even in their own, just their own individual life, in a way, does change the world. Oh, Every yeah. Person yeah. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. I'm going to be asking people when I do this pilgrimage next year is, is that, um, you know, I'm going to ask them, you know, you've been on the planet for X amount of years. Give me some wisdom. I'm going to write it down. In fact, I'm going to quote you. Give mm-hmm. me some wisdom that I can share with the world. Certainly, you have some wisdom of your life. And I'm going to, it's going to be curious to see what people give me. But I'm going to be asking that question. Do you think you have any wisdom? And if so, mm-hmm. what is it? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and if I'm, not, if, if you don't. <laughs> well, you know what that would be like? Well, to say that you don't have any wisdom, it would be analogous to saying, I don't remember my dreams. Yeah. Mm. Which means the ego has blocked your capacity to remember your dreams. So you can't, so you lose the symbols that the dream is made up of. And if we're talking about your life as a dream awake, then you've missed the metaphor and the symbol and the symbolism of your own life because mm-hmm. it, it is there. The mm-hmm. metaphor and symbolism is there. Yeah. So, so, you know, to, to embrace what, what you're offering through, through your teachings. And I, I do consider them teachings because uh, we're, this isn't something we're taught. And you've you've pieced it together. You've put it together in such a way that covers an entire life. You you know if you really embrace it. But it, I do consider it a teaching because I've been paying attention and listening for quite some time, and I'm still uh, waking up to pieces that I didn't fully understand. For example, the emotional piece in the the default summary, it's taken me a long, long time to understand the the part about emotions and and how how that's played out in my life. I know I said to you a little while ago I was talking about I wish I had a vice that could take some of the pressure off to Mm. kind of be a relief belt. Well, after I said that I thought about it I know what my vice is. It's been my emotions. Mm-hmm. It's been my emotions. And to realize that, now I can I can work with that in a different way when yeah. I understand how my emotions have been a vice well, in a way, a way to release pressure. Well, and you've mm-hmm. also uh, kind of expressed a fear of other people's emotions because they mm-hmm. can be contagious. Uh, they can be yeah. toxic, and they are, and they mm-hmm. can be. Absolutely, mm-hmm. they can be. Yes. And so, yes. so, my own included, though my own included. Yes. Yes. Not, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, you and I had that discussion. You know that if um, if you don't have two egos interacting uh, for all those egoic reasons, what is there to fight about? What is there to argue about? Right. Well, there isn't anything mm-hmm. except for emotions. That's <laughs> all left. Right. Yeah. <laughs> is well, this is this is this was my subjective experience, and and your your language for that was well, just because 
somebody may not mean to trigger my emotions. It doesn't make it any less real that they were in fact triggered. And uh, yeah, that's true, but it still doesn't make the trigger at fault. You see? No, exactly, exactly. And that's a big piece for me that you know I'm still embracing is emotions are fully my responsibility. If I'm emoting. I have to figure out where is that coming from in me because to place the blame outside of myself is totally disempowering and not not real. Yeah, the feeling and emotion thing is a, you know, and I've talked about it in several podcasts before, the difference between feeling and emoting, which is one is a reaction, the other one is a reenactment. That That's not being taught anywhere and it's not being talked about uh, at a level that the culture uh, – would be would be hearing it you know i mean it's it's talked about on the peripheral i mean there are people that talk about this uh but it stays on the edges of the culture it doesn't get into the core of the culture and um so the information's there all this information is out there but it tends to be on the peripheral on the edges and so i'm trying to bring it into the into the mainstream and say well it's been out on the edge too long and now it's an echo or it's a remnant you can look at what's happening in science and, and uh, the ethical community, the mental health community. We've we've swung back. If there's a pendulum, we've swung away from subjectivity back to objectivity, and and everything's evidence-based now. And research is evidence-based. And the trouble with evidence-based research is it throws out subjectivity. Biopoetics essentially says that subjectivity is the engine. It is the engine. I like that word engine, right? <laughs> it is the engine that drives a system to remain intact. So without the subjectivity, we would not move. And so enlightenment becomes clarity of that subjective experience. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think that right there, what you just said, I think that's major. So what you just said was enlightenment becomes the clarity of that subjective experience. Is that what you just said? And if you don't bother Mm -hmm. to get clear, which is what self-care and self-understanding does, which is what inner lives bring, which Mm -hmm. is I'm trying to get some clear understanding of my mental and emotional Mm well-being, how I feel and how I think, which is different than how I behave. I wrote something uh, this morning about this business of character, which is really just ego. Mm. Um, mm. The ego reveals itself more vividly by what it behaves and says than what it thinks and feels. And life mm. tests ego most unequivocally with adversity. It often matters little how it emotes, as thoughts and feelings can change or be replaced with new thoughts and new feelings. The ego's behavior, on the other hand, occurs in the world and often cannot be taken back. Our inner lives matter in proportion to how much it motivates what we do. An ego asleep, which is a past tense ego, will act out according to its pain. An ego awake will claim its inner subjectivity and support the rest of the of the experience of the soul, spirit, and heart to stay intact. In other words, an ego awake supports the inner subjectivity of the system itself. What was the piece in what you just read? I don't know exactly how you worded it. Once it's out, you can't take it back? Yeah, uh, how the ego behaves in the culture and in the world typically cannot be taken back. 
Yeah, that's we can, important. Yeah, we can change our thoughts and change our feelings, but our behavior is another is another standpoint. And so and so, I'm saying that inner lives matter in direct proportion to how much it motivates what we do. And an ego asleep will act out according to its pain, while an ego awake will claim its inner subjectivity and support the system itself. Wow. Boy, oh boy, is that major. Yeah, and the reason I like that is because that that supports my my word symbiosis. Mm -hmm. You know, my my implication when I came up with intentional guide evolution was that I witnessed as people were going through trauma, a symbiotic thing happening. Something mm-hmm. inside the, the patient that was outside of their thought processes was attempting to self-correct, to mm. make the system whole. And uh, I wanted to understand what that was. That's something that was out of my view. And, the, and of course, I called it the soul. Biopoetics calls it the embodiment of life itself, attempting to be what it was intended to be and to remain intact in the process to remain whole. So you, what you saw in your trauma patient is the person going through the trauma. They were in a reciprocal relationship communication with their own soul. And the ego was collapsed in suffering. Yes. The mm-hmm. ego was collapsed. Yeah. Yeah, the ego was cracked wide open and it's old way of thinking. It's old way of emoting didn't work anymore. I could come up with a new way to think. You know, I could help people reframe, which is what they do in cognitive behavioral therapy. They help you reframe everything, mm-hmm. which is which right. is just, you know, how you think is how you feel. Well, biopoetics is essentially saying is how you think is what you believe and what you believe is what you become, which is a system that is not intact, a system that is not whole unless it's symbiotic. Oh, wow. There you go. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's crystal clear. It really is. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's my new word for the day I'm sharing with the audience, biopoetics. Yeah. uh, And, of course, that that whole movement in biology is, in most of the articles I found about it, had to do with trying to save the environment. So biology is looking at the system, the echo you know, the, the echo part of the system, uh, the environment itself, and how we are in conflict with it and our use of resources or our draining of resources around the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the way we've been functioning, I mean, it, it's nobody's fault. No. It's, it's not. I mean, it, it is what it is. But if a teaching comes forward to say, okay, well, here we are in 2017, and I've observed and I've treated trauma patients, and I've gone through my own life experience, and I've pieced some things together that could be really, really helpful. If you run across that and you ignore it, then that then there might be some fault happening there. Because- you know, I say all the time that and uh, that what I try to get people is oriented to the task. And, and of course, they always go, well, what's the task? Well, the task mm-hmm. uh, that we're being sold in the culture is how to be your best self, how to fully realize your potential, that you have to get oriented to the task of what that would be. Well, what's at fault here is that we are disoriented, which means we're off course in our own evolution. And if we're going to evolve 
as human beings, then we're going to have to give station to our subjective reality, which is our inner world. And if we leave mm-hmm. that subjective reality without clear interpretation, then it's going to be misinterpreted. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we know this is guilt and shame. I mean, guilt and shame really is the ultimate to misinterpretation, that I am uh, at fault and to blame for my life as it is, or I am ashamed because I am undeserving. Uh, and so those things are kind of built into the system. So can we self-correct by um, staying tied to guilt and shame? No, we can't at all. Right. No, of mm-hmm. course not. But what's ironic mm-hmm. about that to me is, is and, and, and again, I learned this in working with trauma, is, is that we are self-correcting whether we are aware of it or not. In other words, the system, the embodiment mm-hmm. that is us, that animated force that is us, that life force that is us, is constantly uh, attempting to achieve its original intactness. You know, uh, it's trying to be whole. Uh, and so the difference is you can do it asleep, you can do it awake. If yeah. you, do, if, you yeah. do it, if you do it asleep, it can, you know, you can lose a lot of years and a lot of time. And, uh, and I'm saying to you that you've only got about 80 years. Mm-hmm. You don't want to waste any more time waiting for chance and circumstance to throw you into, a, uh, you know, an epiphany or a cathartic moment. You could go after that mm-hmm. catharsis or after that epiphany simply with self-care and self-understanding. So this is what I mean when I say inner lives matter simply because it promotes self-care and self-understanding, which creates wisdom, which then is shared to the world and changes the world. So we can do this asleep, we can do this asleep, which is kind of the hard way, or we can do it awake, which would be easier on us. Yeah, it's three times faster. It's three times faster to go after it than it is to wait for random chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And many of us do that. We we just we just wait for for life to throw us a curve and then we then we grow up, then we change, then we embrace some of this. So to do this review review and revision that that you talk about and what you wrote up for the excuse me for the show today how does one begin the short answer is to to give your inner life station period and to realize that um that you absolutely have one it's it's never off it's never gone it's never away it's always churning inside of you um and we know this churning uh, I certainly do, is this inner angst that we all carry about our lives and about our circumstances, that that inner angst is the driving force for us to self-correct. You know, I call it the human spirit to provoke us to an awakened state. So my short answer is, you know, give your inner life station, period, and realize that there has been uh, a disorientation. We are disoriented about what matters here as human beings. And by that, I mean that our thoughts and our feelings are incongruent with what is real and what is true. And that incongruence is really what causes the angst to begin with. We feel the incongruence all the time. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the standard practices in the culture are to meditate, to do some version of church that gets you away from the externals, to go inside yourself, give yourself a moment to take a breath, just step back from your life as you think it is to see what your life really is. 
Yeah. So it's kind of like getting caught up in the external and believing that as to be what is true and then letting go of that and turning inward. It can be challenging. You've also talked about in in what you wrote up for the show about um, the um, inner chatter and how the volume increases and how the volume decreases. Mm -hmm. So I had a question around that. Um, You're talking about that we develop um, excessive pride to Mm -hmm. combat the injustice of losing our spiritual feeling self. So my question around that is how much is too much pride and how much and can there be too much humbleness, which would be the opposite of pride. Yeah, of course, of course. So there's, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've known, I've known, I've had people in my life where I feel like pride took them out. I mean, literally, it killed mm-hmm. them. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Pride, you know, too much pride is, you know, we see that in the culture all the time. Too much pride. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like all of these things we talk about, Irma. It's, uh, it's finding a balance between pride and humility. I mean, how proud are you allowed to feel before it's too much pride? Mm-hmm. You know, shame, mm-hmm. shame has that problem more than guilt. Shame doesn't know how to feel pride. And I can speak from that from my own personal experience that uh, it's not mm-hmm. something that, that I mean, I'm still working on it to this day. You know, how proud am I allowed to feel before it's too much? Mm-hmm. And so the answer, I guess, would be back to that business of living your life at your expense or the expense of others, that when it becomes expensive to sustaining life, then it's too much. Mm. If, it be, if it becomes if it becomes uh, detrimental uh, to sustaining life, then you're too humble. So, other words, ah. you know, the the if you stay in the concept of biopoetics again, if you stay in that context, then um, remember that that you are an embodied life form that is attempting to stay intact, stay whole in an environment that doesn't support that. Mm-hmm. And so you have to try to strike a balance between the environment itself and what you feel internally. That's really helpful <laughs> to know, you know, the the two extremes. Yeah. It's not much unlike. I mean, I mean, you've heard this before, and I and I certainly have felt it, and I'm sure you have too. That um, how much compassion is enough compassion? I mean, you could give away your mm-hmm. entire yearly earnings in a week. Yes. <laughs> if yeah. you go out, if you go out into the world and see all the need that's out there, you know, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, how much compassion is enough compassion? Right. And 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 you still feel guilty when you pass the guy on the street with his cup out, you know, needs money for food. You know, you you have to draw a line. And so, you can be compassionate to the extent that it doesn't uh, hinder your life and your existence in some way. But if you go too far then you're you're going to harm yourself. The helping professions have that problem. They have they have it's called compassion fatigue. All they do is just give, give mm-hmm. and give and accommodate and accommodate all the time. And they burn right. out. Right. Which means they're not doing self care. They're not doing self understanding. They're just they're giving it away. And this is kind of a Christian concept. They're giving it away with the with the understanding it'll come back tenfold in another life. Not this life, but another life. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a real quick way to to burn out for sure. Wow. This has been, I think, extremely helpful in understanding. And I love 
I love how you describe enlightenment. The way you describe that to me is is right on. Yeah. To have clarity of the subjective experience. Thank you for being a part of The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible. While problems manifest psycho-spiritually, on a most essential level, there exists an energy component that provides the instructions for these fields to enter awareness. And The Soul's Intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Join us each week to learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom, and how in an instant learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice.